Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome to our journey through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written. We've made it so far through and we have several books left uh, and at least one of them is a major book. These books that we're going to do next though, we're going to do as a group. Uh, They were written around the same time within a few years of each other. In fact, we could say that about Hebrews, 1st and 2nd Peter, Jude, James, a lot of them, but uh, not James, sorry. But we are, uh, we're, we're just going to pick a theme. First Peter is a very interesting book, and it is rather likely to have been written by Peter, although I'd say at least half of the scholars out there don't think so. Second Peter, however, very few scholars think he wrote that one, and there are a, a wide variety of reasons. But one of the more powerful ones is is that the early Christians didn't think it was written by Peter and said so many times in their letters back and forth to each other. However, they did view it as being written by people associated with Peter or as they would say, in the school of Peter. And eventually it was brought in to the canon of scripture. Um, So we're gonna read it, but it has a lot in common with the tiny book of Jude. So, we're going to go First Peter, Second Peter, Jude, because we're going to see a flow here that leads us to a discussion of the books that didn't make it in. And we've already gone over those in, in some detail um, in our Monday morning messages and our midweek Bible classes, but we will uh, we'll say a few words about them when we get there. The first part of First Peter is rather generic. The opening statements, the greetings, and so we're going to go through this fairly quickly, shall we? I'll be reading out of the NIV of 2011. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world. And I love that. We are strangers here. We are citizens of heaven. We are foreigners among this, the people in our community. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Um, There is some of, and and I think we're probably gonna have to do a whole series on why I'm not a Calvinist, but Calvinists do jump on this and say, see, we were chosen ahead of time. If you interpret it that way, here's a general rule of thumb. If you have an interpretation of a verse which causes a lot of problems in other verses, you might want to relook at this. And there's just so much in the Bible about us making our decision, our choosing to follow Jesus, choose you this day who you will serve, all the way up to Jesus saying, if you confess me, I'll confess you. That it just doesn't work to make this verse mean something else. If you are in Christ, you are chosen, you are elect. And his foreknowledge, he sent Jesus because he knew some would respond to Jesus. 
And by some, I don't believe he means, you know, Patrick and 19, whatever it was, or no, I believe that he is saying God's foreknowledge is that this was the plan and that his people would be his people. But I would also like, just like to ask, wouldn't it be nice in this next year, instead of, you know, sending emails with, you know, ta regards and, you know, what if we put grace and peace be yours in abundance and then did our name on the emails? And by the way, email's picking up again. Uh, that was kind of weird. I found out that uh, you know, tweets and text are huge, uh, especially text. But more and more people are doing more and more with email again, which is rather interesting. But even if you write a note, remember those? A note goes in an envelope, picked up by a stranger outside your house and delivered. That, um, I think it'd be nice this next year to just give it a try. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a nice thing to say to somebody. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who by faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We'll stop right there, even though it's not end of a paragraph in the way we divide things. There were no paragraphs in Peter's day. Uh, they just wrote continually. Um, I do love this and I keep stressing this yet again, an inheritance, a living hope through your precision obedience to a list of, uh, of doctrines that your church, no, again and again and again, when it would have been perfect to put it there. Scripture doesn't have it there. It says you get a birth through Jesus, his resurrection. Sounds just like Paul in 2 Timothy, doesn't it? We just came through that. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Precision obedience is never required of us here. We are to be obedient to the call to love God and love each other as ourselves. We are to love the stranger. We are to act like Jesus. That, nothing is required, Paul says, except faith expressing itself through love. So maybe we should get all those church rules off our backs so we can be free to love. Going forward, <clears throat> he does warn, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now this was written somewhere in the 60s. That's the best we can do. I've had people uh, really make good arguments for 63 AD, but uh, I don't think we really want to die on any of those hills. But it's in the 60s, which means persecution from Rome is percolating and getting a little bit more intrusive. Um, and by the way, if Rome comes at you, no matter what they do, it sure doesn't feel like a little bit to you. But there are also other persecutions from the general culture uh, and from some of the Christians who were also Jews who um, would, you, um, would require you to be more Jewish than Jesus intended. It's, you've read Paul. There were still people that were saying you had to be circumcised, you had to eat the right foods, you had to keep their holy days. Uh, well, all of those things are fine and you can absolutely do those and have that be part of your tradition and part of your honoring of God. It was not required and yet it became a real problem and it wasn't you know Jews going after Christians 
it's, the Jews were Christians and by and large here, but they were going back and forth at each other all the time. And while it is true that the Jews did come, um, cause some real issues for the Christians later, it has to be really emphasized that that was for a short period of time and the Christians have still, boom, gone after Jews for so long and it's always wrong in every single case. There's no room for bigotry. There's no room for anti-Semitism. There's no room for prejudice and bias, not in the Christian heart. And we really, I hope one day we learn this. I really do. These have come, so the, what? The, the, we're talking about the trials. So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That was lovely. That's exciting. Maybe we should read First Peter more often. You think? Uh, we tend to go to a few of the clobber verses in there and kind of pick and choose and go on. Uh, there's some real gold here. This is, um, this is real nice. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Oh, oh my goodness. Here we go. Um, first of all, he talks about the prophets. These would be the Hebrew prophets, the Jewish prophets. And they are prophesying of the coming of Christ and this new covenant that will embrace the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And then it says they prophesied by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. So Christ was already very active on the earth and that they tried to find exactly when is this going to be that the Christ will come and suffer all the things that Scripture said he was going to suffer. Prophets like Isaiah chapter 53 which if you follow us on Sunday mornings, I read in its entirety the first worship service of December. So if you didn't have a look at that or a listen earlier, go back and have a look at that. And then it says it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they weren't really serving themselves, but serving these new Christians who would be born centuries in the future. They were laying a foundation and preparing a way centuries before. And it was revealed to them, this is what we're doing. That's why they were able to do it so powerfully. And now we and they are tied, tied by the same story, tied by the same movement of the Spirit through history. I find that wonderful. Remember that faith is a river. Do not let the river stop with you. Make sure it gets a little further. 
It started a long time ago. Let it not end with you, with me. Our safe harbor has found ways to get the river of story into more places, prisons, Muslim countries, uh, established countries, prosperous countries, dirt poor countries, than any other way I've ever seen. I, this has just been phenomenal. And those of you that give five, ten dollars, a thousand, whatever it is, you, you're pushing the river forward. You're also pushing it forward, not just by money, but by the way you live your lives, by the way you share the Jesus story, you share what we're doing here. You are, you're part of this river. That means people hundreds of years from now, should the earth still be here, there will be people who believe in Jesus because of you. It's hard to believe, but I guarantee you, Amos, Hosea, Obadiah, they had no idea when they got started what was going to happen centuries later. But then they got an idea. Now, whether they found out on earth or not, I don't know, because there's an interplay between heaven and earth here. Angels are excited to see where this thing is going. Angels are trying to figure out the plan too because God's got a plan and they're, they're busy in it, but even they are going, wow, what's next? Isn't that cool? It is cool. Therefore, here we go. Get ready. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, I have a lot of contacts with law enforcement, everywhere from local law enforcement all the way up to um, federal level and federal agencies in the U.S., uh, provincial levels in Canada, and Interpol and Europol. And I, I really appreciate them. And sometimes when they hear chatter uh, that there may be an issue here or there, I'm on their list. Um, I'll, I'll get the text only sometimes because I'm not a sworn officer and there's some things I don't need to know, but if it's coming near me or it might come near me, you know, maybe they've heard about a, a, a little terrorist chatter in a place where I happen to be at the time, I'll start getting the text. And almost always it'll say things like, keep your eyes open, keep your head on a swivel, know your exits. And that's just their way of opening up the discussion. Here's what we're hearing. And I really appreciate it every time I get those. Um, here, that's what Peter's doing for you guys, saying, listen, all of us, be self-controlled. Do not live a life where you feel like you've got to control others or let them control you. You make your decisions. You draw your lines. Be self-controlled. You know, if, you, if you want to get fit, don't wait six months while you're looking for the best workout. Just start. You know, it is, you be self-controlled. You get this done. Be ready for action. Prepare your minds and keep your hope on the grace in Christ. And then it says, uh, he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Let's stop there. To me, there are two classes of evil desires. The ones I had living in ignorance and the ones I'm still fighting. Now, the ignorant ones, um, I think we all can figure out some of those in our lives, and, and they will differ, obviously. But there are things I really wanted 20, 30, 40 years ago that had I received them, they would have destroyed my life. They would have destroyed my witness. There was a 
Christian comedian who once, and his name was Mike Warnke, and he had a big fall from grace. I don't know what he's doing today. I hope he's doing really, really well. But back in the 80s, he was very popular for, uh, I'd, I'd say several years, maybe a decade. And he talked to, and one of his things he liked to do to large groups of teens, he would say, since I became a Christian, I gotta tell you something, I do all the drugs I wanna do. I commit all the adultery I wanna do. I have all the sex I wanna have. I, I lie all I want to. And of course the crowd is, you know, the teens, this is their first time hearing it. There was no YouTube or internet, you know, so they're going, oh no. And then he stops them and he says, but since I've been a Christian, I don't wanna do drugs. I don't want to commit adultery and just go have sex. I don't want to do these other things. And it was a very powerful lesson and a very powerful technique for getting it in their head. But we need to go a, a wee bit further here and say, you know, I've been a Christian now for a long time, well over 50 years, sometimes AWOL, but basically. Uh, and I still have some desires that are evil and so we need to keep watch. You've come so far, but you're not home yet. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's in Leviticus 11. The whole book is about how to stay clean and holy. Uh, and it's, of course, it was written under, an, under the old law for a different time, but it's still very, very, very instructive. He says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. The word fear has caused all kinds of problems for us, because when we think of fear, we think of shaking, we think of, um, of, of us being in danger. And that's not the way it's supposed to be here. The word fear here has a lot more to do with respect and readiness to obey. Think of it this way. When I go to the airport here in Nashville to fly to wherever I'm going, and I see a police officer standing there uh, with a sidearm uh, prominent on their hip, or uh, since 9-11, every so often you'll see a police officer holding uh, an M4 or an AR-15. Um, am I afraid of them? Not the way we define fear, no. Do I respect them? Yes. Does it put me on notice to be ready to obey? Yes. That's what we're looking at here. You respect them and you be ready to obey. That's really what the word fear here means. So we are strangers here on earth and we are ready to receive our orders from God at any moment. And the orders that we receive in scripture and in our community, we are ready because we don't wanna let him down. There are a lot of things in this world I would have done if I wouldn't have let people down by doing it. It was really that that made me decide, no, I can't do that. I, I don't wanna let them down. So don't let down God and, and have that. That's what the fear thing is here. He goes, he goes further, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. I, can we just stop for a minute? Is Peter dissing the Hebrew people? No, Peter's a Jew. Whoever wrote this school of Peter, 
would have been a Jew if it wasn't Peter himself. And again, I just say Peter. But what empty way is he talking about? Well, let's go back, shall we? If you take a look at the top part of the chapter, where, who's he greeting? Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's not talking about Jewish people. He's not talking about prophets and the patriarchs. He's talking to Gentiles here, saying, you didn't get the stories. You didn't get the prophets. You were handed an empty way of life. Now you have Jesus. So does that help? Okay, you can't use this to be an anti-Semite. It does not work. No scripture does for that. He goes, your life, you were redeemed not with the silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Again, moving our faith and hope off site so that it is not in our church organization, church name, church leadership, church rules, canon law, none of that. While all of these things can have value, we do not allow them to put burdens on us because our faith and hope is in God and Christ. Now that you purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that, and, and there we go again, I've heard this used as, no, this proves by the truth. There are many laws. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. So by obeying the truth, what is the truth? Whatever Jesus said and how he did it, how he lived his life. And so that's an active thing. Uh, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For, and here he's going to start quoting from Isaiah 40, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The glass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. What a beautiful chapter. Absolutely stunning. And a, a chapter that we should really be paying a lot more attention to, I think. I'm not really sure why First Peter has, has not been, at least in the forefront of my religious past. We would just dip our toes in it and dip right out of there. Because chapter 1 is just worth its weight in gold. Even better than gold, according to chapter 1. But there is a therefore, so let's get the therefore. All right. Anytime you see a therefore, chapter two, verse one, you need to always remember why it's there for and or what it's there for. So while chapter one's fresh in our mind, therefore rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I would like to refer you back to chapter one in verse 14, when he talks about you left those evil desires when you lived in ignorance. And I brought up, but there's still some desires. That's what I'm talking about. Here he brings up, there are still some desires. What are the safe desires that may be evil? And we, and again, this is not fat shaming because um, being obese actually has a, a massive amount of, of, of causes. And it's not as simplistic as people think. But gluttony is always condemned in scripture and yet rarely mentioned from the pulpit. 
it says deceit, malice. Uh, you ever seen Christians treat each other, how they treat each other over politics, mask, vaccines, how they treat each other over everything? You know, malice and slander, some people think that's their job. I've had people slander me and say all kinds of things about me. Whenever other people have gone up to them and said, um, hey, you know, aren't you supposed to go directly to him and work with, no, no, this is, you know, he's a public figure, therefore I must do this in public. I've heard that a dozen times. Uh, and okay, fire away. But they think they're doing it for God. And Peter here is saying, nope, you're not. Malice, I have a righteous anger. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. I have some constructive criticism. No, you don't. Those are just sins and good disguises. We get rid of that. No malice, no deceit, no hypocrisy, no envy, slander of every kind. That hypocrisy, how many times have I heard people, not just directed at me, but, but directed at many, just tear them, tear another person to pieces and then say, I'm only doing this because I love you. Well, no, you're not. And that's not love. And if it is, stop it. Because I don't like that love. Nobody does. But people do that, and that's hypocrisy. They will put on the, oh, I'm loving you, while they're knifing you. No. God does not need bulldogs or watchdogs. God does not need men with clubs, using words as clubs, to go and club down the dissenters. Our God has given us Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and he has told us to live like Jesus, period. Now, as you come to him, verse four, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now he's going to quote again here. And um, I, just, I just love this. The Celtic people came out of, um, by the main, around Turkey and East, and they migrated up through Northern Europe and of course had their, their homelands, if you would, in Scotland and in Ireland uh, and in other offshore areas, and even the northwest of France. And they would put up stones, markers. Everybody knows Stonehenge, but there are thousands of these stones and circles and stones alone and such. We don't know what most of them mean. Um, you can look up Brodgar Ness and look at their uncovering an entire city of these stones in the Orkney Islands right now, and it's just amazing. Um, but again, these stones of testimony have another name called Ebenezer. Ebenezer means a stone of testimony. Here I raise my Ebenezer, the old hymn said. Uh, these are our testimony. This is, this is who we are. This is their identity markers and borderlines. And he says, now you are living stones. You are the testimony. You are the identity of Christ on earth. As Paul put it in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. You are identity markers. You are a spiritual house of God. You are a holy priesthood. You are the one that offers sacrifices to God. Think about this. Instead of God calling us back to a temple, he has made 
each of us temples, temples of the Holy Spirit, and sent us out, scattering us, because the only way to get to God was through a priest. And now we're all priests. You don't have to go to the temple. You just have to find one of us out there at work, loving people until they ask us why. And then we tell them about the God whom we serve as priest. Wow. So here's going to quote, and he, he has, a, he has a good tour through scripture here. See, I lay in stone, uh, I, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, and he quotes another passage, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone, according to which the ancient manuscripts, hard to know which one they're going for. And another quote, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now. This could be like a stone on a pathway. But in this time, they had trip steps and they did all the way up to the medieval times. If you go to Scotland or England or any of these places that have the old castles that date back sufficiently, you know, 16, 1500s, 1400s and beyond, um, you will, if you'll find towers and you'll find staircases. And if you take a tour through uh, the guide will warn you to watch your feet. Sometimes they'll tell you why and sometimes not. But they would build these, um, these staircases in a spiral because that way as you're coming up, your sword hand is, is kind of blocked and your shield's over here, which means they can, uh, the defender can get you from above. But there was another thing built into the design. Every so often a step would be a different height. So that way, if you're charging up there and you're in a rhythm, all of a sudden you're out of a rhythm and you fall. And there were people that were saying, you know, we were doing just fine until Jesus showed up. And he said, he's, he made us stumble and fall. We just couldn't handle it. There were those that had been waiting for the Messiah and waiting for the Messiah. And then when Jesus came, they didn't like him. And some of them, some of them helped lead the Romans and the cross to the intersection with Jesus because they didn't like him, tripped him up. That wasn't the kind of Jesus they were looking for. They were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. In other words, this, you were designed, you were planned to be for, for Jesus, but you didn't. 